God, again, this is just a perfect time to stop and pause at the beginning of our week and to say, we're listening. Please do your work, God. We know that you're able, and we are here willing to hear from you. So you have our permission to do what you need to do in each of our hearts and in our church culture, in our our town, in our state, and in our country. We're willing. So now it's on you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a seat. Glad you're here. Hopefully you're glad that you're here. We're going to continue in our study in Matthew. And when we were doing our sermon prep on Monday, we thought we were going to kind of combine the last part of 14 and a little bit of 15, uh, just because 14 is only three verses left. And it's kind of those verses where you just read and you're like, oh yeah, I got that, let's move on. Because it's not like there's no red letters in it, there's no real exciting stuff going on. But Tim, Tim sits there and it's kind of quiet as he's processing through and listening to us talk. And he's like, hold on a second. <laughs> he's like, there's a lot here. So as we begin to unpack those last three verses, there's more there than what you can see. And so we want to share that with you this morning and see what Jesus has us to see. What does the Spirit want us to see in those three verses in the last part of chapter 14? So I want to tell you something that you probably may know, you may not know, but I'm going to pick on Emma a little bit this morning because she likes to be famous. So as many of you, this may shock you, but Emma really likes Chick-fil-A. She absolutely, if, literally, if she could eat there breakfast, lunch, and dinner, if we allowed her to do that, she probably would, and never get tired of it. Like, this girl loves Chick-fil-A, and when she gets focused on a plan, like Friday night's usually our Chick-fil-A night, we're having to move it to Saturday night because we have something a little more special going on, and so we had to change it, and that disrupted some things for her. Because her heart was set on going on Fridays with our family to Chick-fil-A. And when she sees that that's different or it's broken, she come, becomes a little bit desperate. And she pushes and she fusses and she keeps after us. And she literally, the moment we buy it on Friday, she's already talking about, we're going to do this next Friday, right? And literally, y'all laugh, I'm telling you. And it's, it's, we get it, we understand it, we just go along with it, but literally every day, it's, she's making sure, because she is desperate for Chick-fil-A. It is her life, it's what she loves, it gives her, it, I don't know what it does for her, but it does something. <laughs> right? Right, Emma? Yes, you're right. And when she knows she's not going to get it, it absolutely disrupts her world, and she becomes desperate. She's willing to do anything. To make sure that she knows, that we know, that Friday is Chick-fil-A night, now that it's Saturday. What are you desperate for? What in your life are you willing to go to extreme lengths to make sure that you get that one thing? For Emma, we know when she's in her desperate phase because she'll call us and text us and ask and communicate All of that in the same day. And the next day, it's going to happen again. And we know that. Because she's desperate for it. It's it's what fulfills her. It satisfies her. And when she becomes desperate, we all feel it. I would say if we were able to look around in our 
nation right now, a little bit of desperation happening, right? And people are focused on, well, if they would do this, or if this would stop, or if they would go in this direction, or if this would happen, it would just all fix, it would satisfy us. And folks, I'm telling you right now, that's desperation. That's not where God wants us to live. That's not where he wants us to be. In fact, we're going to see in these three verses what desperation looks like and the remedy for it. Are you intrigued? You excited? I am. Can you tell I am? I love it. It's good stuff. So I'll give you the answer ahead of time, which you already know this. Like, if you have been in church any amount of time in your life, this is one of those Sunday school answers that we all know. It's just logged in the back of our brain. Somebody asks us a question, who can help you, Jesus? Who can fix that, Jesus? It's something that we just automatically know. I want us, those of you that are listening at home or listening this week, I want us to get to the place where it's no longer in the back of our mind as just an afterthought or an automatic response, but it's in the forefront of our mind as the main focus and the main thing that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100%, that no matter what happens in our life, that when we get into that desperation mode, because we all will, that Jesus really is the remedy to help us work through that desperation to get back to a state of hope. Because Jesus really is the remedy. All right, so let's jump right in. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to look at the last three verses. And again, they're not very exciting. And I am going to pause. Les, it is so good to see you in church this morning, dude. It is really nice. You are front and center, and I'm glad you're here. I know you are. You couldn't hear him, but Les said, I'm glad that I'm here. You've had a long road, but you're here today. So God bless you. Thanks for being here, buddy. Just sit back and enjoy it. How about that? (laughs) in Matthew chapter 14 verse 34 it says this when they had crossed over they came to the land of Gennesaret so this is kind of close to Capernaum Capernaum is where Jesus kind of kicked off all the main miracles and all the healings and remember this is just after they were sailing across the sea big storm blew up They got a little nervous. Jesus comes walking at them. Peter hops out of the boat, begins to sing. Jesus saves them. They get over, and now that's done. So they're working off this mindset of Jesus has done some cool stuff, all these miracles. He just fed over 5,000 people. He just calmed the sea. He just got us across this thing. He just let Peter walk on water. So the disciples are swirling, but they are beginning to see that this man is different. He really is the Lord. And so they get across to where they were going, and now they're in this big area. This is not like a small town. It's a pretty good-sized town, and it's really big as far as the land is concerned. So in verse 35, we find that when the men of that place recognized him, that's a big statement and a big question for us. Can we, in our normal, everyday life, know Jesus enough to recognize when he's at work? Because they did. These aren't followers of him, but they knew when he stepped into their land that that was him. The one that they may have heard about. Maybe they had seen him before, but they knew that was Jesus. Because they recognized him. It's a good thought for us. Here's what they did. They, being the townspeople, they sent out into all that surrounding region. Not just area or town or the limits of that. In the surrounding region. They sent out word, Jesus, the guy that's been doing all these great miracles, the guy that's been doing some cool stuff, he's here in our area. Come and see. 
So they sent out into all the surrounding area, brought to him all who were sick. Now, this is the special part that I love about Jesus. I don't believe for one second he ever got tired of helping people. I do. (laughs) Because my emotions get drained. My energy gets drained. My tolerance gets drained. Just being honest, that's where we all are, if we're really honest. But Jesus was different. He was fully human but fully God, and his compassion for the people exceeded everything. And he patiently and lovingly worked with them. So they bring everybody to him. And watch this, in the last verse, begged him. They begged him. They didn't just say, hey, if you got time, you know, we'll, we'll be over here. I can see them on their knees begging, pleading, help my aunt, help my uncle, help my mom, help my dad, help my son, help me. Begging him. Why? Because they recognized the power that he had because he had something that they couldn't find anywhere else. And when we look at this word begging, it brings up for us as we were studying us the idea of desperation. They traveled throughout the entire region. Folks, this isn't like a, a one day, uh, just an hour journey or a five minute walk. This is hours, maybe days of walking from where they were. And if they're crippled, it's going to take even longer. Jesus was there taking his time over a period of time, meeting the needs of these people as they came and begged for healing. Why? Because they just simply recognized what he's able to do. And watch what they begged him for. They didn't beg that he would touch them, that he would pray over them, that he would anoint them with oil. They begged that they, the people, they took the responsibility. We're coming to you. We know you have what we need. We're coming to you. And please let us simply only touch the hem of your garment. How many times do we pray, God, I'm over here in a jam. If you could come over here and fix it. These people are broken. Now, naturally, we automatically think that it's physically broken. But I believe there were some mental and emotional and spiritual issues that were there. And when they came to him, they are begging him to simply let them touch his garment. You don't even have to look at me. You don't have to pay me any mind. Just let me touch your coattail. That's all I want. Why? Because they recognized who he was and what he's able to do. And watch what happens. It's so glorious. And it's deep. And as many as touched it, just the coattail, just the hem of his, just the smallest possible piece you could touch. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. We believe that not just were their physical ailment or whatever thing was going on was healed, but we believe emotionally, spiritually, mentally, they are made well, perfectly well. Why did they do that? Because they were desperate. They've been to every doctor. They've lived their life with this thing that just can't be fixed by anybody. They've tried all kinds of medicines. They've tried all kinds of prayers. They've tried this and that. And it sounds a lot like us. 
If we can just get the right person in office, if I can just have that perfect job, if I can just buy that perfect vehicle, if I can just play that perfect game, everything will be settled in my life. And I'm telling you now, that's desperation beginning to happen in your life. And these people were desperate. And because they recognized Jesus, because of what they had heard, maybe what they had seen, they knew that he could fulfill and satisfy that longing and void that they had in their life better than anything or anyone else. And so they traveled long distances. They spent a long time to find him. I've got to slow down. I'm getting ahead of myself because there's so much good stuff. So let's unpack this a little bit. Here's the first thing. The actions of Jesus made an impact. His actions made an impact. It's the reason that he was recognizable. It's the reason that when he stepped foot on their land, they automatically knew that's Jesus. That's the guy that did the cool stuff. That's the guy that fed us just a couple of days ago. That's the guy that healed my aunt when I brought him to her or her to him. That's what we're talking about. So his actions made an impact on the people. People came from all over. They didn't, again, just come just from the town limits or the nearby houses as they walked through the streets. These people came from the surrounding region because they knew what he was able to do. They wanted what he had to offer. Why? Because people were searching for something. They they needed something. They knew they needed some type of healing. They knew they needed some type of rightening of their mindset. They knew they needed something, and they were searching for something. Does that not sound like us? We are all searching for something. Many of us have found Jesus, if not all of us. And so we know that that is the answer, but we still try to fit extra stuff in because we think it will help us be satisfied. And the reality is, no. Again, that's taking us in the direction of desperation because if I can't get that, then I'm, I'm done, I'm lost. It's no good. And they came with expectations, People came with the expectation because they recognized who he was and they traveled such a great distance from wherever they were. They came with the expectation that this man can fix me. Now, I put known and unknown on there for a reason. Because they came with the known reason of, hey, I want you to fix my foot. Or, hey, I want you to, to fix my mind. But when they left, he not only fixed what they came to be fixed, but he fixed it all. And many of us, when we come to Jesus, we just want him to to forgive us of our sins or to take us away from alcohol or, or help us in our marriage. And what Jesus wants to do is, yes, he wants to help that, but he wants to fix you, all of you, every aspect of your life. The question is, are you desperate enough to let him fix it all? Because desperation drives us to something. Think about that. Think about it in your life. When you got in that place that you just, it wasn't working and you didn't know what to do, it drove you in some type of direction to something. For some of us, it may have been alcohol or drugs or pornography or or adultery or, or name whatever you want. For some of us, it may have just caused us to leave our state of mind and thinking about Jesus is this to he's no good, he doesn't love me and, and leaving that. But desperation drives us to something. It always has, always will. It's a nasty little booger. And it creeps up on us before we even realize it. And when it does jump all over us, it's hard for us under our own strength to get out of it. 
Again, I go back to Emma. When she gets worked up, we have to just pause the conversation until she can calm down and then we can hopefully work through it. It takes two or three times, but we get there. Even for me, there was a time where if Sally did something that irritated me or frustrated me, I would shut down for days because my desperation was I can't fix it. It's not happening the way that I want it. So I'm just, I'm not paying attention to her. And I realized, well, you're an idiot. That's not how it works. Instead, I should go to Jesus and say, okay, where am I wrong and how can I work with this situation? I need you to help me work through this. Because our desperation will drive us to something. And folks, that something will never satisfy you the way that Jesus can. Desperation is this, it's recklessness growing out of despair. And despair is defined as losing or abandoning hope. It's hopelessness and discouragement. So when we talk about um, desperation, we're talking about people who have lost all hope. It just seems hopeless. And they become reckless in that feeling of hopelessness. Does that sound pretty familiar? It's where we're living right now. Our entire nation is that way. Churches all over the place are that way. Christians are getting this way. And folks, don't let it be named of us. We have a hope. And yes, we may feel this a little bit. Let's, let's be okay with recognizing and acknowledging that all of us or at least most of us, have gotten to the place where we were a little bit desperate. We, we watched too much news and it sent us over the edge. We, we listened to too much of this or saw that. And it sent us over the edge of desperation thinking, we're all just going to die. It's hopeless. So I'm just going to live life. Like, maybe not to that extreme, but there's a portion of that desperation that enters all of us. But... If we are who we say we are, and we truly believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the bread of life, he is our hope, then when we begin to be overtaken by the desperation that begins to come at us, we can, through the lens of Jesus, look at that desperation and talk it down. Because he is the answer to it all. I want you to think about the people's desperation. Now, again, you think we read these three verses and we're like, ah, oh, it's not that much. But I want you to think about this. How far did they travel? I love thinking about that stuff. This is the surrounding region. They traveled a little ways. Capernaum and uh, this city that we're talking about is three miles apart. And so if we're talking about the surrounding area, we, we've got a big area. And they mostly walked everywhere. Now, I'm not a fast walker. Three miles would take me a little while. Think about how long they had to wait when they got there. Listen, we tried to go out to dinner last night, and they were like, it's an hour wait, and we are like, see you. <laughs> I'm not standing outside. We are impatient. What if, listen, I went to, uh, on, a, on a mission trip to Mexico when I was in college. Interesting experience. That's another story for another day. However, we were late getting to the church, and we were riding with a pastor. 
We were literally probably 30 to 45 minutes late getting to the service. And when we drove up, you would never guess what we saw. It was empty. No, it wasn't. That's our church is here. People were literally just standing outside waiting for the pastor to get there. Listen, if I'm not here in five minutes, I know that if I show up ten minutes later, y'all aren't going to be here. We had a rule in college with our professors. If it's they're 15 minutes late, they don't show up, you can go and you're not counted absent. Let me tell you, man, I watched that clock like a hawk. How long did these people have to wait? This is the surrounding area. And I, I, I can't help but believe that Jesus took his time with each person. Lovingly and caringly looked them in the eyes, listened to them, loved on them, encouraged them, and blessed them. That takes a little while. And people may have been groaning and moaning because of pains, and, but he was laser focused on the one that he was dealing with, and so there's probably a waiting line. And what were they willing to lose to experience something great? What if they had to leave their family to go see Jesus? What if they had to leave their job? Seriously, you go to your job tomorrow and say, you know what, our church is going to have a revival over the next two weeks during the day, so I'm not going to be at work because I'm just going to go to church. Let me know how that works out. Seriously, you can either take vacation or don't come back. We're really not doing that, just so you know. But I want you to think about what desperation forces us to. We, oh, I think that's the next slide, actually. (gasps) We are willing to sell our souls to anything we believe will satisfy Think about that. In the, in the normal world, take the spiritual side out. In the normal world, we are willing to sell ourselves out spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, thinking that that thing that we are so desperately wanting will satisfy us. And desperation will drive us to do the dumbest stuff. To get ourselves in such a jam because we know, well, God loves me. I'll just go talk to him and he'll just fix it all. Well, maybe he won't. Maybe he'll let you sit in that quagmire and figure it out. Now, he'll love on you and he'll work with you through it. But maybe he won't fix it. Your mess, deal with it. Stop making dumb decisions. Sorry, that was extra. And listen to their desperation. They didn't come up and say, Jesus, lift your hands to heaven and ask for a special blessing and then place your hands on my forehead and do it this way and that. They're like, you know what? We're coming to you. We're coming to where you're at. You don't even have to look at us. You don't have to speak to us. All I want to do is just get up behind you and touch the hem of your garment. That will be enough. That's enough. That's all I need. And yet, churches are full of people saying, God, I need a sign. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I want it to be done this way, and I want to see this done. That's not desperation. That's selfishness, pride, and me wanting what I want. These people are saying, I know who you are. I respect what you do, and I don't even want to bother you, but if I could just touch the hem of your garment, that's all I need. My faith will be enough. They simply begged 
to touch his coat because they were desperate for what he had to offer. And so many times we want him to come to us. What happened to us going to the throne of grace and falling on our face before his feet and casting all our cares at his feet? Why? Because he cares for us. I don't remember very many places saying, hey, just sit where you're at, call him, he'll bring it all over to you. Is he able to do that? Yes. But he wants us to buy in. He wants us to know that we value what he has to offer. He wants us to know that it's important to us. And so we should be begging him, God, I just want to touch the hem of your garment. Where are you? Because I'm coming to you. And we probably should do a better job of our wish list. There's so many things that we ask for. And we're asking for out of desperation because we feel those things will satisfy us rather than saying, God, I'm going to trust that you're going to give me what I need to satisfy me. Yeah, I want that. I like that. I want that. But Lord, I want what you want for me and I will be good. But we want it all. We want it all. And our world teaches us that, right? But their simple request and desperation was through faith. It wasn't because, hey, Jesus, listen, I traveled a long ways. So you owe me, if I'll just touch the hem of your garment, you owe me some healing. That's not what they're doing here. They are in desperation mode. And they know that he has something to offer. And because of their faith, they don't even need to make eye contact. They don't need all of these other things that we think should happen. All they wanted was the simple touch of his garment. You know, Capernaum being only three miles away, and that's kind of where he started all of his miraculous healings and cool miracles. We are confident. News traveled fast. Yeah, they didn't have the internet. They didn't even have mail, but news traveled fast. And so, again, they had heard these stories, and so they knew what he was able to do. Maybe some of them had already been over and watched him feed the 5,000. Maybe there's just a big glob of people that followed him all around wherever he went. So they knew what he was able to do. And maybe they just feel unworthy. You ever feel unworthy? To fall on your face before a holy God, the one that knows you best, the one with no sin. And to air our junk out in front of him. That's, man, I'm not worthy of that. And yet through Christ, Christ allows us to be worthy enough to enter the throne and speak to God. That's the great part about this. But these people, they knew, I am so unworthy to make eye contact with this God and be touched by him. Just let me touch his garment. That's enough. It could have been just out of deep respect and simple confidence of what he can do. This this guy's different. Not only can he teach better than the Pharisees, but he's doing miracles and healings better than any doctor we've ever seen. And so... I'm respecting this guy. I don't want to bother him. Like, I don't want to take time away from him. Like, just let me touch his garment. That's all I need, and I'm out. However, I do believe Jesus likes that interaction with us. I think part of the reason why they were made whole was because of that. He wanted to leave a lasting impression on their life. And they asked for the smallest opportunity 
and it was enough. You know, growing up, it was kind of, in I don't know, I just listened to a lot of teaching and a lot of preaching and kind of got to the place where if it wasn't big, then it wasn't God for me. And I'm so glad I've gotten away from that. It doesn't have to be big to be God. And I think we get in this mode because of the world that we live in, that we get so desperate to see the big things that we miss all the little things that God is doing that when we put them together is bigger than any big thing we could have ever asked for. We have got to change our lens. We've got to change our line of sight and see that God is at work all the time around us. And if we would stop being desperate to see that big thing, if, I, if he'll just do this and I'll be all in. No, 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 stop that. Just trust him, follow him, touch the hem of that garment, that's enough. It's more than enough, actually. Through faith, we can be made whole. Now, being made whole is an interesting statement. And I really, Charlie and I talked about it a lot. And I went back and studied a little bit more. And I found a verse that helped me make sense of it all. So in verse 36, it says that when they touched the hem of the garment, they were made perfectly whole. Now, that's interesting. What does that really mean? So, In Matthew chapter 15, we find a verse that kind of helps us, for me, understand what that looks like. Because when we look at it in the dictionary, the the Bible dictionary that I have, it just means to be healed of the diseases or whatever's going on. But watch this. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet and healed them. Now, if you don't know what maimed means, it means doing without a body part or being mutilated to where it's completely gone or unuseful. Okay, does that kind of make sense? We kind of know what that is. But watch what happens. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speak. That would be outstanding, right? The maimed made whole. And I thought, now, yeah, I'd marvel at that if I saw somebody with no arm and an arm's there. That made me go, hmm, look at that. That's interesting. So when I read in verse 36 that they were made perfectly whole, I believe they were perfectly whole. Whatever body part they were missing was there. Whatever mental capacity that they had was increased. Their spiritual deficit was made whole. The lame walking, the blind seeing. And what did they do? They glorified God or the God of Israel. I think we don't do enough celebration anymore. It's kind of why Sally wanted to celebrate less being here and why I wanted to point it out. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. But I want you to notice that top statement. Being made whole is being made complete. Being fulfilled. Being satisfied. And our desperation so many times leaves us unsatisfied, thinking that the thing that we're desperate for will satisfy us. But you are smart enough, even you teenagers, you know, that when you try to go after that thing that you think will satisfy, satisfy you and you finally get it, you know that you'll just want the next best thing. But Jesus, it's always good. It's always satisfying and it's always complete. 
the desperation that we experience for physical healing or fulfillment should pale in comparison to our desperation for spiritual healing and fulfillment. So this statement acknowledges that we all at some point in our life will be desperate for something. It's just natural. It's a natural emotion that we travel into. But we should catch those thoughts, take them captive, and throw them through the lens of Jesus so that our desperation turns to spiritual healing, spiritual understanding, and fulfillment and satisfaction through Him. And folks, in the day and age that we are living, there's a couple of things with that. We need this more than ever before. Just for us personally. Because we, we have no idea how desperate we're going to have to be as believers, as Americans, as human beings. We have no idea. And we have read historical documents of how desperate people can really be. And if there's ever a time more that we need to be desperate for Jesus, it is today. But here's the second thing. When we become desperate for Jesus and allow Jesus to do cool stuff in us, when we just touch the hem of his garment and we are made perfectly whole in that scenario, people will see it. And it opens that door and it gives us an opportunity to say, let me tell you about my Jesus. That's what's good about this. Because Jesus truly is the remedy for our desperation. As the praise team comes, let me ask a couple of questions for you. Number one, what has desperation driven you to in your life? You may be dealing and feeling desperate right now. What is it driving you to? What are you going to to try to satisfy that desperation? And let me ask you a question. When you have done that in the past, was it really satisfying to you? Hopefully you can be honest and say, no, it really wasn't. So the question, second question is this. Are we desperate for Jesus in every area of our lives? Or are we desperate for him on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and in our Bible study and in every other moment of our life we're desperate for you fill in the blank. I know many of you are thinking, dude, are you asking me to be this super religious Jesus freak kind of person? No, I'm not. I'm just asking you to beg Jesus to be in every aspect of your life. Let him guide you. Let him give you the insight and the wisdom of how to deal with whatever scenario you're dealing with. The third question is this. What are you willing to lose, walk away from, or change simply for an encounter with Jesus? Some of you may need to leave some friends. Some of you may need to leave family. Maybe some of you need to leave your job. Maybe you are hanging around people that you know are just not a good influence on you. And are you willing to walk away to say, okay, God... I'm willing to step away from this to experience you. And you know what may happen? He may send you back afresh and anew to make an impact on that relationship. But you won't know until you step away to him. What are you willing to walk away from? What are you willing to lose to simply experience Jesus? And then lastly, what do you believe this morning? What do you believe needs to be made whole in your life? What is that hole, that void that you're trying to fill What is that thing that you're trying to satisfy with everything else? Maybe this morning as the praise team sings, our steps up here, we call our altar, are open for you to come and just have an encounter with Jesus. You can do it right in your seat too. But just talk to him. Offer up yourself and say, God, I I need you today. Give me just a small thing. 
and see what happens. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. You are so good, and I appreciate the way that you work. Appreciate your word. The simplicity of those few verses is so amazing to me. God, you blew it out as you always do. And I pray that today as we face another week coming off the week that we just came off of, God, our nation is desperate. And they don't even know what they're desperate for. They think all these other things are going to be sufficient. And yet, Lord, we have the answer through you. Help us as believers to honestly stand for you and to point people to you. But Lord, help us guard our own hearts from being desperate, for trying to fix everything and understand everything. Help us just to be laser focused on you and head in your direction. For those that are sitting here under the sound of my voice, for those that are sitting at home or will be listening later this week, God, just work on us. Reveal to us where we're at. Help us to see where you're at and give us the courage to go to you. Help us not to wait for you to come to us. We love you, we praise you, and thank you.